0: This morning, God's Word comes to us from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. We'll be reading the first 10 verses of this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning at verse one, what we hear now is God's word. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well this morning we are beginning a new series of sermons. It is our regular practice in the morning worship services to preach the word of God, as summarized for us in the Reformed Confessions. This morning, we are going to begin a series of sermons that is rooted in the truth of the Heidelberg, excuse me, the the canons of Dort. We have studied the Heidelberg Catechism for several months, years even. Now this morning, turning to the canons of Dort. um, It's good for us to know the confessions, the doctrines of the church. It's good for us to know the stories of the church. We have to know both. It's good to know the stories about uh, Adam and Eve and about Abraham and about Moses and about David and about the disciples and about Jesus. It's also good to know how to put these stories together in a a somewhat systematic framework, the theology behind these stories. And so we have uh, confessional preaching and confessional teaching. Uh, We are a confessional church. Now, I suppose in a certain sense, we could say every church is a confessional church. If you ask someone, what does your church believe? And they say, well, we believe the Bible. Okay, that's good. Every church worth the name church will say we believe the Bible. But as soon as you ask them, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about salvation? They will begin to expound on the Bible's teaching. That is a confession. Every church has a confession. We're just very explicit when it comes to ours. Uh, you can look in the back of our Psalter hymnal. You'll find the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll find the Belgian Confession. You'll find the Canons of Dort. And people say, what does your church believe about the Bible? We can say, this is what we believe. That these truths are faithful to God's Word. Our confessions flow from the Word of God. And we're going to start looking at the confession called the Canons of Dort. Now, kids, I know that some of you take notes, and some of you draw pictures of the sermon. And so when I say canons, maybe what comes to your mind is a big gun. A big gun that shoots in battle. That's not the kind of canons we're talking about. If you want to draw a picture of canons... You can think of canons like a book. Canons are like a book. And in fact, you can think of it as a book with five chapters. That's what we're going to look at the canons, the book with five chapters, the canons of Dort. Now, again, those of you um, raised in Reformed churches, when you hear Dort, uh, perhaps your mind goes to a school back in the Midwest. Uh, Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. That's not the Dort we're talking about. We're talking about a city uh, back in the Netherlands, Dortrecht, where a uh, a synod was held and and certain doctrines, certain canons were written out. The Canons of Dort, the city of Dortrecht. Now, I I, I say we're going to have a series on the Canons of Dort, but really, that's not the, the proper title. This is simply a series... On the doctrines of grace, it's a series that reminds us of God's grace in salvation. That God is first and last the author of salvation. That His Son Jesus Christ is an absolute, complete Savior. So don't be uh, thrown off by titles like Canons of Dort. And I don't know the history or anything like that. We're simply talking about the doctrines of grace. How does God bring grace to his people? We're talking about the basics of the Christian faith. And that's what what Paul encourages Timothy to do. Paul encourages Timothy as a young minister, verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith, and of the good doctrine you have followed. We're talking about the basic, the words of the faith, the words about God's grace in the life of his people. Why is it important that we know these words of the faith, these doctrines? Well, we have the warning in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There are those who will depart because there will be those who come with deceitful spirits, with teachings of demons. Now, we're not talking about simply peripheral matters; We're talking about things at the heart of the gospel. We're not talking about whether we worship with the piano or with the organ or we sing a cappella. We're not talking about whether we have offering bags or offering plates. We're not talking about whether the choir sings or doesn't sing. We're talking about fundamental matters, basic matters, matters that touch upon the heart and the soul of the gospel itself. There will be those who come, and they will be teaching deceitful spirits, teachings of demons. Those are the matters we have to beware of and, and hold on to the central truths of the faith. He says they will come, and they will be those who will be departing from the faith because these teachings will come through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared. The challenge to our, the truths of the faith not only come from outside the church, but they come from inside the church. Those who knew the truth but whose consciences are now seared. We can, we can be aware when, when, when challenges come from the outside we must also be aware when challenges come from within the church. We expect challenge from the world, but we also have challenges inside the church. Voices that are, have had their consciences seared and may try to, to lead us away. Voices in Reformed churches that would take us away from the central truth of the gospel. Voices within our churches. Within the United Reformed churches, I don't know if you're aware, but it was just about 10 years ago, our synod commissioned a study committee on the doctrine of justification, the most fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. And yet we had to commission a study committee because those who were, there were those who were challenging within our churches that fundamental doctrine. We must beware of those who come and try to lead us astray. And and, and we are warned by this by God Himself. Now the Spirit expressly says in later times some will depart from the faith. God expressly warns this will happen. There will be challenges from within the church to the most fundamental doctrines and we are to be prepared. We are to be ready. We are to know the words of the faith. What were those specific things that Paul mentions that would be challenged? What are these uh, of de- these deceitful spirits, these teachings of demons? Verse 3, those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. Those who forbid marriage? those who require abstinence from certain foods are these really deceitful spirits are these really the teachings of demons is that, is that what Paul's talking about now I'm a huge fan of marriage being married for over 35 years but it's okay if you're not married I'm a huge fan of food I love to eat but it's okay if you have particular tastes and he says these are these these are these things which are the deceitful spirits the teachings of demons Teachings about marriage and teachings about food. Well, Paul recognizes that that those who were bringing these particular teachings about marriage and about food, although they seemed somewhat inconsequential on the surface, were actually an expression of a much deeper problem. And that's often the case. There might be a, a, a presenting problem. We say, what's the big deal? What's so important about that? But there is a, a philosophy, there's a theology underneath it. And these who would say um, uh, warnings about marriage and warnings about food were questioning the nature of who God is. They would say something like this. After all, a God is a spirit. And therefore, God is only concerned about spiritual things. God doesn't care about the mundane. God doesn't care about your physical relationships like a marriage. Don't, don't bother with marriage because God is spiritual and that's something physical. They would question who Christ is. Don't be concerned about particular foods because that's again, that's bodily. And Christ, Christ when He came, wasn't concerned about the bodily. Christ came and he himself was God and so he was spirit too. And they would undermine the nature of God. But you see, if if Christ was not truly human, if he didn't have to eat and, and all those human things, if Christ was not truly human, then he is not our Savior. Christ had to be human. He had to be physical. He had to be fleshly and care about the things of life. Because God, who is a just God, would only punish humanity for the sins of humanity. If Christ only only appeared to be human, was not really human, we are still lost in our sin, and we have no hope for salvation. These these matters may have appeared peripheral, may have appeared not so important, marriage or not marriage, foods or not foods, but they were the symptom of a deeper root, a more significant problem. That was the case when the Reformation took place. That was the case when the canons were written, these words of the faith. We might might get easy to say, oh, it was just a matter of words and phrases. They just got caught up on particular words and phrases. But these words and phrases had meaning. And they were symptoms of a greater problem, a, a misunderstanding of the nature of God's work in salvation. When we think about the truths given to us in the canons of Dort, the nature of... Of election the nature of God's sovereign choice in salvation there were some who were saying look God is first and last the author of salvation and since God is omniscient God knows everything and God knows who will believe and therefore God chooses them for salvation there were those who were saying God is first and last the author of salvation. And God is omnipotent. God can do all things. Therefore, God brings men to faith and they are saved. You know, they'll sound pretty similar. You're going to want to go back and watch the live stream to hear the difference. But one is the truth and one is not. The Reformation wasn't just about words and phrases. It was about who is responsible for salvation. Is it God or is it man? And we're going to talk about that as we, as we work our way through the, the canons of Dort. Did God accomplish salvation once and for all or does God make an offer of salvation? And You say, well, what's a big deal? It is a big deal as to whether we are assured of our salvation by the work of Jesus Christ. We talk about the atonement and the nature of the atonement. For whom did Christ die? Did Christ die for all? Did Christ die for each and every person indiscriminately? Or did Christ die for each and every one of God's chosen? There's a big difference. The Reformation wasn't just about words and phrases. There's a fundamental difference about those for whom the atonement was made. We think about the nature of depravity. We talk about total depravity. And you talk to an unbeliever and you say, yeah, we're totally depraved. And the unbeliever says, wait a minute, I knew an unbeliever, he was my neighbor, he was a good guy, he wasn't a bad guy, he was a great neighbor. We say, oh, no, 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 Um, we believe in total depravity, not absolute depravity. And you go, total, absolute, what's the difference? One has to do with the scope of our depravity, one with the nature of our depravity. The words and phrases may sound like they're not a big deal. But words and phrases are a big deal. We talk about irresistible grace. We talk about perseverance of the saints. Oh, you Calvinists, you believe in perseverance of the saints. You believed in once saved, always saved. Do you believe that? Yes, we do. We believe once saved, always saved. Yeah, but I knew somebody one time. I knew somebody who was a member of a church, and then later he left that church forever. How can you say once saved, always saved? And we say, well, once saved, always saved does not mean you can live however you want. It means that God perseveres his own in the faith. And they will remain in the faith. And we're gonna talk about that as we work our way through this series. We're talking about the fundamental truths of the faith. Something that, that churches must embrace. We must embrace these truths because they come from the word of God. If we, as the church, not embrace these truths, the world will never embrace these truths. It is is important for Reformed churches to embrace these truths because we come in the line of the Protestant Reformation. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and the truth that they have given to us, truth that is gleaned from the Word of God. It's important for our church to embrace these doctrines. When anyone joins our congregation, we ask them, do you believe that the doctrines taught in this church are the true and complete doctrine of salvation? We have confessional membership. The confessions are derived from the Word of God, and they're important to us. It's important for us as individuals, as families, to embrace these truths. If we do not... Embrace these truths as individuals and as families, they will be lost in our families. Do you know how long it takes to lose the truth of the Reformation in your home? How long does it take to lose the truth of the Reformation in your home? One generation. If we do not pass these truths on to our children, if they are not important to us, they will not be important to our children. And in one generation, the Reformation is lost in our homes. These fundamental biblical truths... Paul says, put these things before the brothers. You will then be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Put these things before the brothers. What's the answer to to not losing these glorious truths? And it's, it's, it's holding on to them. It's being trained in them. Paul says, put these things before people preaching and teaching about these glorious truths of the Christian faith. And the reason we preach and teach them is not because they come from the back of the Psalter hymnal, not because they come from the Kansas adorned, but because they derive from the word of God. You're gonna hear me say again and again in this series, these truths are biblical. These truths are scriptural. Yes, they're codified for us in one particular place, but they derive from God's Word itself. One of the challenges to confessional churches, people say, oh, you believe the words of men. We don't believe the words of men. We believe the Word of God. Now, perhaps it's been codified for us in a particular way, but these truths derive from God, derive from the Bible, and the, 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 the key to holding on to them is putting these things again And again before the brothers. So we're gonna look together at these fundamental truths. This is verse seven have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now he calls these other things myths. They're false, they're not true, they don't derive from God's word. Don't have anything to do with them, don't listen to them, don't study them, get away from them. And hold on to the doctrines, reject that which is false. And if you've ever read through the canons of Dort, as we will look at some of that together, there's part of that section of the canons called the rejection of errors. We hold these truths to be true. We reject these errors. Reject that which is false. When our office bearers take office in our church, they sign the form of subscription saying, not only will I teach the truth, I will reject anything that militates against it. Rejecting that which is false. Reject falsehood. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Godly training. Training in godliness. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Physical training is good. It's good for us to train. It's good for us to go for walks. It's good for us to to do calisthenics. All these things are good for us. But even more so, train in godliness. Because this holds promise not only for this life, that I feel better, for this life and for the life to come. Physical training of some value, but spiritual training of value in every way that we grow in our our knowledge and our love of God. We, We grow in our ability to defend the truths of Scripture. We ended this text, verse 10, with these words, God, who is the savior of all people. God is the savior of all people. Now kids, just earlier today, I said God isn't the savior of everybody. How do you answer someone who comes to you and says, look, it says right there in the Bible, God is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe, but of everybody. How do you answer that question? Stick around. We're going to train together in godliness to learn what is the Bible teaching. Some people take these texts to us and we say, I'm not sure what that text means. Well, we have to undergo training. Now, training, I'm not talking about going to seminary. I'm not talking about learning Greek and Hebrew, as good as those things are, but being trained. In the basic truths of the Christian faith. He says, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set in the living God. As we look at these words of the faith together, our hope is in the living God. We do not put our hope in the confessions, we put our hope in the God of the confessions. The God of Scripture. The one who has revealed himself to us. The one who will do exactly what he says he will do. The one who says, I do give salvation to each and every one of my own. The one who says, if only you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will know the truth of that salvation. And so that's the call of the gospel again this morning. If you are here and are not embracing this glorious truth about the doctrines of grace, what God has done, He calls you today. Put your faith in Him. Put your hope in Him. Put your trust in Him because His word will never fail and all who hope in Him will have a life now and a life forever. God calls us to embrace these glorious truths as we embrace Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. This is our task. This is our calling to to grow in our training in godliness, our training in righteousness, our training about the basic truths of the Christian faith. We will pray together that God will bless us as we undertake this study, that we always return to his word, testing everything against that which is absolutely true and infallible and being instructed and growing in godliness being trained in every way, in the basics, the words of the faith. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do want to thank you for the glories of your holy word, a word that is right, a word that is true, a word that reveals to us the glories of your grace and the beautiful doctrine of salvation, that salvation is first and last from you. And you are the one who calls people and who gives them the gift of faith that they might embrace you. We pray, O God, that once again this morning you might do just that. Give that gift of faith to those who are not currently embracing you. That they might be drawn to you irresistibly. And that we might give you glory and honor and praise for your ongoing work. That we might grow in godliness. Help us, O God, to be good students of the words of faith. That we might bring glory and honor to you. Hear our prayer, O God.